You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Back with Gene and Chris. You know, we had a lot of fun discussions in the Paracast community forums last week with regard to our interview with Ryan Skinner about the Skinwalker Ranch. People are eternally interested in that place. Just can't get away from it. Can't run out of material. So I had a lot of fun with it, Chris. Yeah, um, you know, having uh, had a chance to go further through Ryan's new book, uh, I really do think that he's done a good job. Uh, it's light years ahead of uh, his first book, which was basically more of a, a journal, sort of a personal, you know, story about his involvement with the ranch. Uh, this book goes into quite a bit of uh, history and and some pretty intriguing stories from around the region, plus, of course, the documentation that he reveals very courageously, I might add. And uh, I think uh, the show went good, and the response has been really good. And Ryan is really loyal to the forums. So if you ask him a question in the forums, within a day or so, he'll respond. Yeah, that's true. If it's critical, doesn't matter. He'll talk about it, he'll let all of it hang out, and he'll tell you what he thinks. So there you go. That's last week's episode. If you didn't hear it, Download a copy. In fact, I got an email from somebody. I can't download the show. What's going on? All I can get is live streaming. So we have download links all over our site, thepowercast.com, and you can download it directly from iTunes. So he says, I don't want to use iTunes. All right, fine. Here's a link. Use this one. Well, it just brings up the player. Yes, it does. And if you right-click, you can download the show. I don't want to bother with all that. I'm not going to listen to your show anymore. So easy come, easy go. One listener lost. Another thing that happened in just recent days is we had an anniversary in the UFO field, and I don't think too many people bothered to write about it, although some discussion has arisen since then. On June 24, 1947, 67 years ago, Kenneth Arnold had his famous sighting over Mount Rainier in the state of Washington, nine crescent-shaped objects, you know, their motion was described as like saucers skipping across water, and therefore we got the flying saucer mystery. But it doesn't seem as if a lot of people care anymore. I didn't see any great anniversaries, and you kind of think this is how it really started in the modern era. We ought to pay more attention to it. You know, I can, I can see that for a whole generation and a half, probably, of newcomers to the field. Uh, you know, the Kenneth Arnold uh, sighting kind of faintly rings a bell, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's it's such ancient history to most uh, folks under under 40, let's say, that it's going to be uh, to no surprise to me that um, it, it barely passed by with a whisper. <laughs> but think about it for a moment. If Kenneth Arnold hadn't looked in the wrong direction or right direction, hadn't seen that formation of whatever it was. There had been no UFO flurry then. Where would all of us be now? Well, you, you, that just happens to be the most celebrated uh, sighting from that time period. Of course, the following two weeks before Roswell, uh, you know, you had a major flap of activity in Idaho, uh, Oregon, Northern California. I think in Washington, and there were other reports. And um, I think even down in, in Arizona, their reports. So this would have broken through as a news story, uh, regardless of whether or not he had actually had that particular sighting. I'm pretty convinced of that. We may have a different term, <laughs> flying plates or flying, uh, I don't know. Well, it was before the Frisbee Pie Company, so 
How about flying pie plates? Uh, <laughs> well, think of it this way, though. Would we call them UFOs eventually? What about the alternate phrases UAP, which is what NARCAP and some other people use, or UAO, which is what APRO used? But you wonder also if the publicity surrounding the Arnold case made people look up into the skies and maybe a lot of the other sightings, and I'm going to assume that a fair number of them were genuine, would not have been reported. It gave a focal point. No, it's true. The yeah. yeah, you're right. And but that's we'll what it know. needs. Okay. Unless we uh, get into some alternative universe. We can talk about that. No Donald Kehoe writing about UFOs. He'd continue to write fiction. You know, he wrote superhero-type fiction. In addition to his stuff about aviation, he was a science fiction writer. Not a terribly good one. I've read some of his stuff. It is available online. It's public domain. But he created some characters that, to me, were reminiscent of some of the modern superheroes, like a Captain America alternative, that kind of thing. So that's what Keo would have done. What would Jim Mosley have done? Now, of course, we all remember Jim Mosley and Saucer Smear. He died a couple of years ago, a very close friend of mine. And during the early 1950s, he went on a trip around the United States, basically to put material together to write a book. The book never appeared. Well, I guess it kind of appeared later in the book Shockingly Close to the Truth, where he used part of it. But what would this aimless, spoiled, rich kid, this trust fund baby, what would he have done if he wasn't chasing after UFOs? You got me there, Gene. I have no idea. Perhaps uh, he would have gone into the cigar importing business or... Perhaps uh, he would become a, a, design, a shoe designer. Um, how about a, uh, a guy that uh, screws the lids on uh, coffee cans uh, of the day or maybe toothpaste tubes like uh, in Willy Wonka? I, well, I don't know, Gene. What are you asking me for? <laughs> he did, of course, go to South America to do what he called grave robbing, which is, of course, to go to these relics of past civilizations and grab what he could and sell it. Maybe he would have opened up a home for wayward youth. (laughs) So far, every possibility you've mentioned is as far from the real Jim Mosley as you can imagine. I'm kind of glad things turned out the way they did, even though my life was turned upside down. I'm sure Chris's was as well, as was the life probably of our next guest. After a few months' absence, the ever-prolific paranormal writer, Nick Redfern is with us. And, you know, when I think of the title of his book, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, I think of when I first read about the deaths or the early deaths of some people in or related to the UFO field. Like, for example, M.K. Jessup, back in the 1950s, he wrote a book called The Case for the UFO, The Expanding Case for the UFO, and a few others. I didn't hear much from him. I was really young when it happened. But one day, In Dade County in Florida, in a park, he runs the carbon monoxide into his car, and he goes to sleep, and he doesn't wake up again. Now, in point of fact, I'm going to ask Nick why he thinks there may have been something strange about it. Understand that his life wasn't so great the past year of his life. He was in a serious auto accident the year before. He and his wife were breaking up. He had tried to continue his writing career, and the publishers just weren't interested in his book ideas. So things weren't going so well. 
You wonder, though, how bad someone's life could be before they decide to off themselves. And in this case, you know, it requires kind of an effort, you know, to close up your car, to funnel the exhaust into there, and to just stay there and just let it end. Of course, possibly he had psychological problems that we don't understand. But is it related to UFOs? That's the point of this book, by the way. And this is what we're going to ask Nick. And I'll say honestly, I'm still kind of skeptical of some of this stuff. I mean, we understand some people in the UFO field had early or earlier deaths. A lot of other people lived their full natural lives. Jim Mosley died at 81 years of age, a full life. Stanton Friedman is here. He's going to be 80. And by the way, he is recovering from a heart attack. And We wish him well, but I'm hoping he's going to be around for a while. He's an alert, spry man, still, you know, smart as a whip, and we hope that he'll be recovering. But certainly, he's already lived a long and useful life. So whatever happens, we couldn't judge that as being strange, but we'll see. The book is Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. The guest is Nick Redfern, who does one of the best Paracast Stingers We've heard other than Chris O'Brien, and we'll compare them because with Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. If you need to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, thank you, or simply I'm thinking of you, ProFlowers.com is the key. ProFlowers has stunning bouquets, like the best-selling 100 blooms for $19.99. Plus, ProFlowers will include a glass vase for free. 
sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers sent fresh from the field is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers, picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for $19.99, go to proflowers.com, click the blue microphone in the top right corner, and enter code PLOW. That's proflowers.com. Click the mic and enter code P-L-O-W. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terragonics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Life's getting better. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Before we started, I was asking Nick Redfern once again why he hasn't surprised me and gotten Skype to work on his personal computer. And he tells me that, what, I'm the only one who asks him? Yeah, every other show I do, they demand a, a landline. Not only do they demand a landline, they even they all insist on a corded landline as well. And um, so that's pretty much... Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, for example, you know, the shows like Coast to Coast, they, they will not allow you to you know, do the show via Skype. You have to use a landline. Do they understand you can actually call people on the phone with Skype, and receive phone calls? Well, yeah, of course. Well, the way it's been told to me by a lot of the shows I do is that although they prefer Skype in terms of quality, so many of the shows tell me they they get dropped a lot when they're using Skype. Well, I understand with a live show. That makes sense. We have run into problems, scattered problems, but not a lot. And even with a regular landline, you get a disconnect every so often. Yeah, that's right. I mean, no system's faultless, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, for, for Skype, you know, I just I just don't use it. Someday you'll surprise us. Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, I've got Skype, but the, but the laptop I've got, there's, um, there's a, I've had a glitch on it where Skype just won't open. And, you know, for the sake of having to get a new laptop just for Skype, it's pointless, you know, when I never use it. You've never just called HP and said, fix it. I mean, oh, HP yeah, is actually, a pretty good company. Um, I had the Geek Squad looking at it. I, had, I was on the phone for like two or three hours once, literally, with with Skype's people, and none of them could figure it out. It, it just it just won't open. You know, the icon just won't open. The men in black have taken over Skype. <laughs> That's it. They've read your books. 
and you wrote the wrong thing. There's some paragraph or sentence somewhere in one of your books that offends the people with Skype. So they called their black helicopters out or they called their security station and said, don't let them use Skype. Or it's due to the fact that I've got a six-year-old laptop. (laughs) I don't know. I have a computer that's almost five years old. runs fine, but then it's a Mac. I've always found, you know, that uh, I get to sort of that age and uh, things start to go a little bit cranky now and again. That's it. Computers do that. People get cranky, too. I get very cranky at my age. Chris knows. Of course, he doesn't reveal that on the air. Okay. How do you pick subjects sometimes for these books? Like, for example, Closing Characters of the Fatal Kind, where you're looking into the possible connection of the deaths of certain people to maybe something involved in the UFO mystery. What inspired you to do this? Often it's different things. I mean, this one was one that I personally wanted to write. Um, probably half the books I've done for No Page, which is 10 books, they've come up with the idea. You know, it's, it's actually not me who comes up with it. I mean, the books, for example, World's Weirdest Places, For Nobody's Eyes Only, NASA Conspiracies, and a couple more, that was just New Page saying to me, we'd like somebody to write those books. Would you like to be the person who writes them? You know, so there was no, you know, it hadn't crossed my mind to even write those books. That was just purely, you know, like a, a work agreement, a contract. Um, but some of the books I write, you know, um, or the most of the books I write, I should say, are where I come up with the idea. And you always, if, you know, if you're going to write a book, you want to be able to give the reader something new. And so that that was the the point of this book. I was sort of looking around for new ideas and realized that nobody had ever written a full-length book on all the various strange and mysterious or suspicious deaths in ufology, even though, you know, there have been articles on them or somebody might have done a chapter on this person or that person, but there hadn't been like an overall study. So I thought, well, why not make that sort of the uh, the next one and, and sort of the last one, because this is my last like UFO conspiracy book. I'm not doing any more after this one. And uh, so I thought it was kind of like a nice way to go out, so to speak. All right. <laughs> okay, so this is your UFO conspiracy swan song. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the point being here is that we look at the deaths of different people and we see if there is possibly a UFO connection. So we have this U.S. Secretary of Defense back in the 40s, James Forrestal. And he jumps out the window in a hotel, right? Well, no, hospital. Hospital, that's right. Okay, he's at a hospital. He's being treated for psychological problems there, though. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so he's at the hospital, and one day he does what? Well, it depends on who you ask. Either he jumped from the 16th floor, uh, a 16th floor window, or fell, or was pushed, and... You know that those are the those are really the only scenarios. The official line is that because he was taken to the hospital in a depressed state, um, that it sort of overwhelmed him while he was still in there. And when he was left alone, conveniently at one point in the early hours of May the twenty second, forty nine, he leapt to his death. Um, other people feel that um, that it that it wasn't suicide; that it that it was murder, and they point to the fact that. Um, his brother phoned the hospital one day before his death on the 21st, said, I'm taking him home tomorrow. And, um, of course, he never had a chance to because he died later that night. Um, people in the UFO field have suggested, and granted, it's all rumour, but they've suggested that um, 
he'd been briefed on the UFO subject when he became uh, Secretary of Defence, the first Secretary of Defence, and that um, this kind of all overwhelmed him. And, and he was someone who had psychological issues even before he got the job. And his wife was a full-blown alcoholic. Um, and so they had like a, a tense relationship and he didn't handle stress well. So with hindsight, regardless of the reasons for his death, you know, he may not have been the right person for the job. So, you know, it's like a lot of these deaths, it's sort of 65 years on, it's unlikely we'll ever really know the full story. So I assume then that the common perception is the guy had problems. Mm -hmm. He offed himself, jumps out of the window, end of story. Of course, you wonder why do you take somebody with a known history of psychological problems, based on what you say in your book, he's got a known history, why do you make him Secretary of Defense? Well, I don't know if it was actually known publicly or even to the president, Truman at the time, who appointed him to the job. I mean, this has all sort of come out since when with um, biographies written on him and, um, you know, interviews back in the 50s and 60s with colleagues who were still alive and family and, and friends. So I'm not sure to what extent that was known outside of the family back in the 40s. But I mean, I mean, he was, in terms of his um, character and his ability to sort of, you know, deal on a worldwide basis, you know, with high-ranking figures, that wasn't an issue. It was just when things began to overwhelm him. Like most of us, you know, you have something that happens on a bad day, but you, you deal with it, you cope with it, because you have to. But that was his problem. Now, as I said, the stories within ufology are that he got a briefing on the UFO subject when he became Secretary of Defense in 47. But, of course... You know, this was barely just two months after Roswell and Kenneth Arnold. So if, you know, if aliens did crash at Roswell, there probably wasn't much to brief him on beyond the fact that somebody's skulking around and we've got a few bodies and a, a craft and so on, um, which, you know, would be amazing enough. Uh, I don't know if it would cause the average person to have a breakdown if they were exposed to that data, though, you know. Yeah, we understand. Nick Redfern's joining us. The book is Close Encounters of the fatal kind. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? 
How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids. I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger. I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom. I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Log on for spring specials, including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, hoodia and metabolic complex, and pro-metabolic, all on sale now. Also, the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and Warwood Plus complex, plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and click on Spring Specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we have Nick Redfern. He's author of what he says is going to be his last UFO conspiracy book, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Suspicious deaths, mysterious murders, and bizarre disappearances in UFO history. So, Forrestal, from what you're telling me, if there's anything there that's unusual, it's tenuous. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's one of the things. We don't have hard proof but, you know, his death was linked to the UFO subject. What we have are fairly intriguing strands suggesting that that he wasn't suicide. But then, of course, you know, you've got to make a connection that takes it one step further and say it was due to UFOs rather than the strain of having to deal with the threat from the Soviets 
or whatever. Um, and there are a few admittedly weird aspects to the story. For example, one of the things I point out in the book, a little-known thing, is just before he got admitted to uh, hospital, um, Forrestal had what we might term like a classic early Man in Black experience. Now, I'm sure you both know that back in the 50s, you know, the Men in Black always travelled in groups of threes. They looked kind of odd. And they'd try and find a way of getting into people's homes. You know, they'd flash an ID card that turned out to be bogus or whatever. Well, just before Forrestal was admitted to hospital, he was at home with a friend when there was a knock at the door. And one of his staff answered the door and um, there was like a conversation that Forrestal could just only hear like little murmurings of. And so when the door was shut, Forrestal asked his uh, staffer to come over and, and, you know, basically tell him what was going on. It turns out that it was some creepy, weird-looking guy who was apparently, uh, or supposedly at least, looking for the um, for Forrestal's help in um, getting this guy a job in the local post office. <laughs> like a really weird, really, really weird, tenuous uh, reason for knocking on the front door. And so the guy sent him on his way, and as I said, that um, he told Forrestal he was a strange-looking guy dressed in a weird fashion, and. Forrestal, in a totally paranoid state, was peeking through the window as the guy walked up the driveway towards the street. And he met up with two other similarly dressed guys, and they kind of stood around staring at the window for a while and then wandered off. And, of course, back in those days, you know, the, the men in black always used to turn up in groups of three. A number of researchers had suggested that this was done deliberately to try and destabilise Forrestal even more by having sort of weird little guys turn up at the front door and try and force their way in. In other words, somebody wanted him gone, and even if he committed suicide, somebody may have been trying to destabilize someone who they knew who had a fragile psychological condition already, if you like. Now, a couple of other interesting things. Forrestal actually began working in the Pentagon on September the 23rd, 1947. Well, September 23rd was also the same day that General uh, Nathan Twining of the Army Air Force, as it was then, wrote this sort of famous document, what were termed flying saucers, excuse me, flying discs at the time, and where he wrote, the phenomenon reported is something real and not visionary or fictitious. A famous document, and it was prepared the same day Forrestal started his job. Well, the very day after that, September the 24th, Forrestal had a behind-closed-doors meeting with both Truman and Dr. Vannevar Bush, who's been long uh, connected with the UFO phenomenon. So, again, it's tenuous, or, or maybe it isn't. It depends on the way you look at it. But we do have these sort of weird little threads. Now, one of the most fascinating things, just a few years ago, the CIA declassified a document which actually contained in a several thousand page file on their uh, work in Guatemala in the 1950s. And there's a document contained in that file titled The Study of Assassination. And it's essentially a document that explains to CIA agents the best way to kill someone and make it look like an accident. And the easiest and most profitable way, the CIA said, was to throw somebody out of a high-story window onto a, a preferably a concrete floor below, which is exactly what happened to Forrestal. Yeah, so, yeah. how coincidental. Strange things like that. Well, in that kind of death, it's really hard to find evidence, except on CSI or Law and Order Special mm. Victims Unit, to find evidence of foul play. Well, I don't know. With Forrestal, though, as Nick points out in the book, 
the very fact that his uh his you know how how he was actually you know, supposedly hung himself out the window is a little inconceivable um well, if what he's using is the the belt off his bath bathrobe now when you looked up the story and did your research where did you find the information about how he did this how he accomplished his death oh well there's like the official record there's a stash of uh, newspaper articles at the at the Forrestal Archives, and I've got three or four biographies on him, um, you know, written years ago and some more modern. So it's basically, you know, the same way you would do any archival research and, and biographies on a newspaper report. Of course, you know, there's, there's probably nobody left from that period that was involved now in the investigation. You know, we're talking 65 years ago. But, I mean, as Chris just pointed out, the sort of nature of his death is weird because the official story is that because he was confined in the Bethesda hospital, he spent most of his time in his dressing gown in his room. Well, the story is that he took the cord, uh, which was a removable cord, out of his dressing gown, tied one end of it round his neck, then tied the other end to the radiator, and then climbed up onto the windowsill and lowered himself out of the windowsill. Now, you know, he was only an average-sized guy. It's not like he had a, a waist of 60 inches or something. That sounds highly uh, unlikely. Yeah, so, you, I mean, you imagine like, envisaging getting out of a window, which was probably like about three feet high or something, when you've got one end of the rope around your neck and the other one's got to be tied around the radiator, and you've probably got to tie both ends twice to make a double knot to keep it secure. Then you've got to climb out and lower yourself down the other side. You know, I mean... What are we talking about? Like a, a cord of six feet or something. And uh, what the official story is that when he lowered himself out the window and, and let go of the sill, the weight of his body supposedly snapped the cord. And what happened was, the official story is that he plummeted to the third floor canopy that stuck out from the main part of the hospital. And, you know, he, you're not going to survive a fall like that. And he didn't. Um, so... There are a lot of anomalies, and I think when you've got several anomalies and weird things going on, at the very least, we've got to kind of give it food for thought at the very least. Okay, so even if he was off deliberately, is there any reason to stretch that into something related to UFOs? No, only by the fact that, you know, the date issues as they relate to Vannevar Bush and Twining and the rumors within ufology, but they're unsubstantiated rumors. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me, could we apply it to stress born out of the fear that the Cold War was going to be a hot war and America would be destroyed? Maybe he couldn't handle that well. Maybe it was down to the fact that his relationship with his wife wasn't well. On the other hand, maybe it was his wife, the Russians, and Roswell combined. <laughs> no, who knows? We really don't know. One thing that I've noticed, uh, Nick, uh, here is that there was a document uncovered by timothy cooper who turned it over to ryan and bob wood and uh it it's it's an unofficially released document i think it's called the study of assassination and and there is an interesting uh sentence allegedly that was written in there about the uh, untimely death of secretary forrestal do you want to address that a little bit and then talk about uh forrestal making that very um kind of oblique and, and troubling comment to uh, Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas. Just to let you know, we have about 40 seconds before we have to break. So start the answer here, Nick, and then we'll go on with it. Oh, okay. Well, as far as this sort of controversial statement that he made is concerned, um, just literally um, 
something like a couple of weeks before his death, he actually told um, William O. Douglas, who was an associate justice of the Supreme Court, and this is the exact words, Bill, something awful is about to happen to me. And this was right around the time when he was getting paranoid and he thought his mail was intercepted, his phone was bugged, and these creepy guys were wandering around his house. This is only the beginning, folks. Nick Redfern (laughs) joins us. It's Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. We're looking at the curious death of Secretary of Defense James Forrestal. More to come. With Gene and Chris, you're in. Nick? How is it, mate? The Paracast. You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hey everyone, have you heard about the no-no hair removal device that's sweeping the globe? If you want to go weeks without shaving and get smooth, professional quality results, here's our favorite host Cheryl for no-no hair removal. Thanks. Hey gals, I love talking about my no-no. It's this cute little hair removal system that you can take with you and use almost anywhere at home or on the road. No more expensive in-office treatments, painful waxing, and no more wasting your valuable time. Got unwanted facial hair? No-no has patented Thermacon technology that works on all hair and skin colors, so it's perfect for using on all body parts. And now you can take advantage of this incredible risk-free trial. Get the No-No, the Facial Kit, a travel case, and a $100 discount shopping card, and you don't risk a penny to try it. Try the incredible No-No hair completely risk-free. Call 1-800-953-6062. That's 800-953-6062. 800-953-6062. At 30dayfoodsupply.com, you can now purchase a -a one-of-a-kind product not available anywhere else. A meatless burger dry mix in four delicious flavors. With our new Oregon Trail Foods vegan burgers, all you do is add water and fry. They need no refrigeration. They're packaged in Mylar bags with an oxygen absorber for a long shelf life. They're non-GMO. They're gluten, soy, nut, and chemical-free, but they're loaded with flavor. And a good source of carbs and protein, yet low in sodium. Flavors include Italian, spicy Mexican, six vegetable and black bean olive go to 30dayfoodsupply.com or call 541-229-0010 and order today eat them every day take them camping or save them for an emergency check them out at 30dayfoodsupply.com and click on the vegan burger icon that's 30dayfoodsupply.com where all of our products are produced in oregon by oregon trail foods 30dayfoodsupply.com
Ouch! My back is out again. Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's Dr. O-R-T-M-A-N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. (laughs) By the way, I just told Nick we're going to leave that segment where he was figuring out that we were calling on him to do our stinger. Nick Redfern joins us. We're talking about... The fact that the late James Forrestal, shortly before his death, he's speaking to a Supreme Court justice. And it sounds like a pretty paranoid piece of conversation that that people are after him. Well, people may have been after him. I mean, you know, he held a, a significant position and he was the first Secretary of Defense. And so a lot was riding on him as a person to, you know, to do good in the job. Uh, you know, it wasn't like he was the latest in a long line. He was the very first Secretary of Defense of the United States. Now, the as uh, Chris mentioned before the break, we do have one highly controversial document which surfaced by Timothy Cooper, a researcher who was involved in ufology in the, or uh, for the most part in the sort of mid to late 90s and then drifted away from it in the early 2000s. And Cooper said that he received literally thousands of pages of documents from various elderly and retired military people who presumably had taken the documents home with them when they retired or had siphoned them out somehow or other. And one of these documents talks about the necessity of protecting the so-called MJ-12 program, um, which could involve, you know, sort of the ultimate action of wiping people out. And it refers to the regrettable and necessary death of uh, Defence Secretary James Forrestal. Now, as I point out in the in the section on this, the fact that the document is not surfaced under the terms of the Freedom Information Act, the fact that it mentions MJ-12 and a significant number of people don't even believe in MJ-12, then it's very important that we view the document for what it actually is, a questionable document without some sort of provenance to it and that mentions a group that has never been acknowledged as officially existing. And one of the things I do find suspicious about this is that anybody would even commit to writing essentially a statement that confirms they essentially murdered Forrestal. You know, it's kind of like somebody saying in November 63, please dispatch three CIA agents to murder President Kennedy and do it in Dillard and make it look like Lee Harvey Oswald did it. <laughs> you see what I mean? Putting all that in writing would not happen. And so I, I do find it 
you know, um, a little bit suspicious, well, actually a lot suspicious, that somebody would commit something to writing that they killed Forrestal and actually, you know, leave it in a document that possibly anyone could pick up. It's, um, it almost sounds too good to be true, and it may well have been too good to be true. What about this Timothy Cooper character? Is He seems to be the kind of guy who'd come up with this sort of thing. So do you think maybe he was fabricating all of it? And once he accomplished his purpose, he just left? Well, I actually don't think that. I'll tell you for why, because the reason I don't think that Timothy Cooper was the one who fabricated these documents was because there were literally thousands of pages that a lot of people don't realize that. They think Cooper received like just a few dozen. It wasn't, it was thousands. Not all of them are in the public domain. And, um, the typewriters used on them were all 1940s and 50s era, and there were like nine or ten of them, you know. So if he faked all the documents, he went to an awful lot of trouble to do nothing with his life than fake all these papers and go out of his way to purchase nine or ten old typewriters of different types. Um and then put them out there for whatever obscure reason. I mean, it's not like he ever wrote a book or sold them, you know, on, burned them onto a, onto a CD or whatever and sold them, uh, or uploaded them today on Kindle or anything like that. Nothing at all. You know, he just gave them to Bob Wood and Ryan Wood. Um, so I, I tend to think that he was really the recipient of the documents, but that then sort of begs the question, well, who was responsible for the documents? What was their line of thinking? You know, were they on the level or were they deceived as well into thinking they were real documents and they were given them by somebody else? You know, there's so many different aspects to this. And the problem is we don't um, necessarily know who all of Cooper's sources were. They used names and first names and, um, you know, just terms that really they could have been aliases, which, you know, makes the story even more difficult when you're trying to figure it all out. So when you put all that together, that's why I mention the document in the book, because it relates to the story, but I qualify it by pointing out these various issues. It is kind of troublesome that when somebody suddenly acquires access to something that nobody else has access, and then I guess it kind of vanishes when he leaves the field. Well, you wait. More came to a halt when he left the field. But this is one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, if you're the recipient of a really controversial story, don't just consider the story. Consider what you're doing at the time in the research field that might warrant somebody trying to discredit you. Now, in other words, it's like if Chris, doing his cattle mute research, suddenly gets leaked allegedly, uh, you know, an insider document that confirms one of the theories in his book. And then it turns out that the document wasn't real after all. You know, uh, that's why you have to be very careful about what you do with these documents and how you treat them, because it may come to backfire. And when you talk about whether Cooper faked them, I personally don't think he did because of these different issues I brought up, like the number of typewriters and so on. But there are people in ufology who did think and still do believe that Cooper was the only person, that there were no whistleblowers, that it just began and ended with Cooper. So in other words, if that isn't true, if he was um, deceived, then it actually had the the spiraling effect of, of affecting his um, status and, and credibility as well. And, and maybe that was the, the goal all along. You know. 
Okay, he vanished from the UFO field. Was any effort made to locate him? Where did he go? Whatever happened to Timothy Cooper? Oh, yeah, Cooper? I mean, he's, it's not like he's vanished, vanished. No, he just said, I'm retiring from the subject. And after he made, like, a final few statements, he just backed away from it, and people pretty much left him alone. And, um, you know, he went back to whatever his life was before. I don't know what that was. But, uh, yeah, it's not like he vanished or there's something sinister. He just said, oh, you know, I'm done with it. I've had enough. I think it's, I think you brought up an important point, though, Nick, that he did not try to capitalize on these documents and that he never wrote a book. He never released them uh, in any way uh, to, to, you know, maximize some sort of cash flow or something. So th- that does, I guess, go in the positive column as, as him truly believing that these documents were real and that he wasn't fabricating them. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a very important point. A lot of people don't appreciate that. Cooper said he started to get these documents in like the early 90s through the mid-90s, and it was sort of the mid-90s when they were really reaching him to a large degree. Um, and as I said, Bob, Bob Wood and Ryan Wood, um, who I know very well, um, they got involved and they essentially said, well, we'd like to dig into this further. And Cooper said, well, okay, that's fine, and sent them copies of the documents so they could be... Well, actually, in some cases, the originals uh, were shared as well, so they could be forensically studied and so on. But you're right that Cooper himself didn't write a book. You know, he didn't write magazine articles for, you know, high-paying newspapers or whatever. He didn't go on the lecture circuit. Um... All he did was give UFO researchers the files that he said he'd received from elderly ex-military people and intelligence people. Now, yes, I know studies have been done, quite good studies, on the various reasons why people fake things. And it's not always as people think for money. But there usually is a reason. Now, the only reason I can think of, if it was a hoax, was to make the subject look ridiculous. But... A lot of people bought into the documents and found them intriguing. So, you know, that that doesn't... And I'm sure if Cooper would have realized that, you know, he wasn't a stupid guy. So, in other words, if he was the hoaxer, I've yet to... Personally, the hoaxer, I've yet to sort of come up with a valid, logical reason why he would do it when... You know, it would have taken it. You know, what, if it had just been, say, one document of eight pages or something, that's different. When it's thousands of pages, which would have taken him, you know, I don't know how long to do, that puts it into like a completely different ballpark. Yeah. You know? Timothy Cooper. Well, if Timothy Cooper's listening to the Paracast, we sure as heck want to talk to him. And by the way, there's a lot more to talk about other deaths. It's not just Farstall. And as a matter of fact, it's not just M.K. Jessup, and we'll get to that a little bit later. There are a few others there. A lot of stories to tell, and Nick has put a lot of research together. The book is not huge. It's like 200-some-odd pages. You'll read it in a few hours, and you'll be left thinking, what's he talking about here? We want to know, okay? The book is called Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, Suspicious Deaths, Mysterious Murders, and Bizarre Disappearances in UFO History. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast. Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. What good is a Big Berkey water filter? We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection. Protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, and by the way, while this is happening, there's a big thunderstorm consuming the area near where Chris lives. We kind of think this is a plot by MK Ultra to take over his research and send them going. Now, let's get into that. In the first part of this book, you also talk about the various connections involving MK Ultra. Tell our listeners what that's about. Well, MK Ultra is probably the most well-known of all the various sort of mind manipulation programs that have been created over the decades by agencies all around the world. Uh, MK Ultra was the CIA's project. Uh, in sort of generic terms, it's become known as mind control. But, I mean, it actually covered a whole range of different areas, sort of um, everything from drugging people and seeing how the, the mind and the memory could be affected um, to hypnosis, to all different things. And uh, But, it's, as I said, it's generically, it's become known as mind control. Now, one of the key players in the early years of, of uh, MKUltra was a man named Frank Olson. Frank Olson, interestingly enough, died in an extremely similar scenario to James Forrestal. He jumped, fell, pushed, however you want to term it, uh, about 2.30 in the morning of November the 28th from um, a room on the 10th floor of Manhattan's Statler Hotel. And what we know for sure is that not long before 
when he was still alive, I should say, not long before, Olsen himself was actually dosed unknowingly with LSD by one of his colleagues to see what effect it would have on him. And it had quite an adverse effect on him. There have been stories that it sort of almost like rewired his mind to the point where he came to regret the sort of controversial work that was being done in terms of using guinea pigs, sometimes against their knowledge, to see how they would react to things like um, LSD and to uh, chemical stimulants and things like this. And there was a fear that he was going to go public and tell the press and the public what was going on with this program. So that's kind of like the scenario with Forrestal as well, where Forrestal was supposedly on the brink of revealing what he knew about UFOs, and Olsen was going to go public with what he was, what he knew about MK Ultra. Now, nobody doubts, of course, that MK Ultra existed. It was, it was one of the sort of leading, most long-lasting mind control programs ever put into place. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that Frank Olsen had a number of ties to the UFO phenomenon. Now, for example, one of the people who he liaised with quite a lot during the period from 1951 to 53 was Andrzej um, who wrote um, The Sacred Mushroom, a very good book all about psychedelics and opening portals and doorways and so on. And Poharic came to believe that he was um, in like mind-to-mind contact with extraterrestrials. Well, Poharic, as well as being an author and someone who um, was heavily involved in UFOs. He was always a, also a captain in the U.S. Army. From 53 to 55, he was employed at the Edgewood, Maryland Army Chemical Center, which was doing very similar work to MK Ultra in the CIA. Um, Olsen himself was actually based out at Camp Dietrich, and because the work at Camp Dietrich and Edgewood crossed paths a lot, Baharich and Olsen crossed paths a lot and, and actually discussed on many occasions the whole UFO subject. Now, one of the other interesting links as well um, is that in the early 1950s, Olsen spent a lot of time at a place called Horn Island in Mississippi. Now, Horn Island is where a lot of highly secret research was undertaken into a hallucinatory job drug called BZ, or more appropriately known as Buzz. And this was actually undertaken, the research was undertaken by the army to determine how well this substance could actually affect the human mind. And the answer is to a great degree. Now, what's interesting is that Horn Island in Mississippi is just like six miles from where in 1973 we had the famous Hickson and Parker, Pascagoula alien abduction story. Now, there's nothing directly linking the Pascagoula case, of course, with MKUltra, but I do note in the book, and I think, it's, I think it's a fair point to note, that this occurred, as I said, just a few miles from where research was in, undertaken into aerosol-based, I should say, airborne aerosol-based chemical stimulants to alter the human mindset. You know, I, I don't necessarily think we should rule that out. And I think arguably that angle should be researched much further. But one of the really interesting things, and many people don't know this at all, is that none other than John Fuller, who wrote The Uninterrupted Journey, arguably the first book on alien abductions and certainly one of the most definitive ones, um, he got an invite um, by people allied to MK Ultra to write about... MK Ultra and try and release aspects of the story to the press. Why they might want to do that is, is like an entirely different story. But the interesting thing is that Fuller 
became fascinated by MK Ultra and Mind Control because he had sort of a little bit of an inroad. And he wrote a book um, called The Day of St. Anthony's Fire, which was all about a weird outbreak of hallucinations in a little French village in 51, where it so happened that uh, Frank Olsen had visited the area back in 51. And there are also suggestions he may have been somehow, or his research, because he was dead at the time, may have somehow provoked the famous French wave of UFO encounters that occurred in 1954. So we have a lot of weird little links and stories going from John Fuller to Baharich to Pascagoula, all linked with UFOs, all linked with Olsen, and all linked with MK Ultra. Let me dissect this here because I see possibilities. And obviously we can think of Barney and Betty Hill especially because they had friends and lived near a military base. So do we assume that Barney and Betty Hill and the Pascagoula case may not have been UFO-related abduction cases, but tests, experiments, and mind control? Yeah, that's the theory, that using things like aerosol-based technologies to radically alter the mindset of certain people. Now, I don't, I don't think this is going on left, right, and center, and that every case falls into that category because the logistics would suggest, you know, you would never get away with it that many times. But I think you would only need to do it a few times to kind of then perpetrate like a meme. It would spread like wildfire. And, you know, I think it doesn't necessarily rule out the idea of real abductions. One of the things that, I find interesting is the the idea of the theory that because maybe the official world, the CIA or whoever, knew there was a real UFO phenomenon, but because they couldn't predict where a UFO would come down or where an incident would occur, but they still wanted to see the reaction on the part of the population, they might well have staged a few events and then clandestinely watched to see what the reaction was, how the media responded, how the UFO research community responded, and how popular culture responded mm. to an incident that didn't really occur, but that might have given them some sort of insight into what might really occur in a genuine UFO event. So in other words, I'm not saying that they fake things and there was no real phenomenon. I'm saying they may have faked things to try and gauge how the phenomenon might react. And because they set up the events, they were able to carefully watch and analyze the, res- uh, the results and so on. That also brings up the uh, the connection, uh, the person that kind of connects uh, Olsen, Puharch, and others uh, together, and that's Sidney Gottlieb, uh, who was the head of the Army Chemical Corps. And uh, talk about a nefarious uh, individual that not many people really know that much about, but uh, uh, some people say Chris Carter, for instance, of the X-Files kind of modeled the Cancer Man character after, uh, after old Sid Gottlieb. Why don't you talk about Sidney Gottlieb and some of his... Uh, his role in all this kind of as the the puppet master uh, of sorts. Well, yeah, I mean, um, Gottlieb was a very sort of interesting and uh, unusual guy. He had sort of, you know, fingers in just about every pie, so to speak. But um, Gottlieb himself um, was someone who was involved in the whole um, sort of mind control thing from the early years. He actually ran the chemical division of what was called the CIA's technical services staff. So he was the guy, basically, and we have to sum it up and continue our next segment. He's the guy who administered the chemicals, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, well, not perhaps. Not perhaps he did. He, he was the one who... He was who the guy. Was he he was the guy, right. Okay. 
Nick Redfern's joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First game attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at one 800 686 2237 extension 129 Moms of America stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again Because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom. I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. What good is a Big Berkey water filter? We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection. Protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey Water Filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters 
filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I want to say this honestly. Chris O'Brien and Nick Redfern will not replace the Beach Boys (laughs) with the Harmonies or the Everly Brothers. (laughs) For that matter. No, thank God for that. I don't know. Wouldn't you like their money, though? Oh, yeah, that'll do. Okay. Let's go back to the strange case of Sidney Gottlieb. And you're telling me here, he's the guy who administered the chemicals or was responsible for directing this. But how can you say, then, that a lot of the UFO cases, especially in the early years, weren't mind control efforts? Well, the reason I don't think they were is because if we look at the reports where, really credible reports, where we had pilots chasing what were clearly structured objects and where there was ground radar corroboration as well, and these things were, you know, outperforming our aircraft, you know, flying left and right hand turns, I I just don't see how they could have been fabricated in like 47, 48, 49. Now, I think it's a whole different thing when you possibly, you know, you target someone um, on an isolated stretch of river and, you know, you dose them up with an aerosol-based psychedelic, then that's totally different. But I just don't see how something like um, like the Washington, D.C. wave of 52, I just don't see how that could be fabricated. It would require going to the air traffic controllers administering this chemical and <laughs> impacting lots of other people. Now, Yeah, well, that, that's just, that's not going to happen. You know? Now, I should tell our listeners, we have lots of questions from your fellow listeners. I don't think we'll get to all of them. And we have a couple of critical comments. We want to get to those in a moment. But I want to hit on something. You spend a whole chapter in the book about this. Pass MK Ultra, or maybe related to it. President Kennedy. Now, we know about all the theories about his assassination, but how the heck can you possibly connect any of that, whatever you think about it, to UFOs? Well, actually, the answer is quite easily. <laughs> all right. Um, there's, there's actually a lot of data and people and players that are linked to the UFO subject who also played more than significant roles in the Kennedy assassination. I mean, one perfect example, very controversial case of 47, the Maury Island case, which some people kind of view as an outright hoax that ended in tragedy. Other people think it was a legitimate event, where in Maury Island in Tacoma, Washington State, in June 47, supposedly one of a number of UFOs exploded over the harbor, showered all this strange wreckage down into the water, some of which was hauled out by a man named Harold Dahl, um, who then handed it over to, I won't say a friend of his, but some people view him as like his superior at work or just somebody who had some hold over Dahl, a guy named Fred Chrisman. Now, 
the wreckage was then handed over to two military guys who were supposed to fly it to Wright Field, as it was called at the time, or Wright Patterson today. Well, they barely got into the air when their plane exploded. They were both killed and the wreckage was never found. Two of the local media guys died. And Kenneth Arnold, who was out there investigating the case, he almost died when he took to the air in his plane and the engine failed. And... Um, he just managed to get down in one piece, and it turned out whoever had refueled his plane hadn't shut the fuel valve, and the fuel started to freeze the higher he got in the sky. One so of these silly, then, dumb mistakes, or maybe not a mistake. Well, it could have been a mistake, but then we find, as I said, there were two local media deaths of people who'd actually reported on the case, and the two military guys flying the wreckage died. You know, we're talking five deaths in a very short period of time. Uh, excuse me, four deaths and almost five in such just a short period of time. Now, Fred Christman, who the wreckage was handed over to, uh, actually turned up in the Kennedy assassination to the extent that uh, Jim Garrison, the New, uh, New Orleans District Attorney, came to believe that Chrisman was one of the gunmen in the Kennedy assassination. Now, Chrisman was also an acquaintance and, and friend of a uh, former FBI agent named Guy Bannister. Well, Guy Bannister was someone who undertook extensive UFO investigations for the FBI in the summer of 47. His, his UFO files have now been declassified through Freedom of Information. I've got them, and they're about 60 pages in length altogether. Some were more significant than others, but they show that he was in the forefront in the early years, and he was actually given a briefing on the subject in 47 by the Army in, in Utah. Now, that's just two connections. A third one, one of the theories about Kennedy's death is that he was on the verge of revealing what he knew about UFOs. Well, he was shot on November the 22nd, 1963. On November the 21st, 1963, Kennedy flew into Brooks Air Force Base in Texas, where he was due to open a new wing, which was dedicated to what at the time was called space medicine. And this was like the early years of outer space research and so on. There were a lot of concerns about how the human body might be affected by exposure to low gravity and cosmic rays and or no gravity. That was the purpose of this new wing at Brooks. Well, when Kennedy was at Brooks, he had a behind-closed-doors meeting with a guy named Major General Theodore Bedwell. It turns out that Theodore Bedwell held a major medical position at Wright Field, Wright-Patterson, in the summer of 1947, the very time when supposedly the alien bodies from Roswell were taken to Wright Field. So, in other words, he would have been one of the ideal people, at least, to see the bodies because of this senior medical position he held. Now, somebody else who he also had a behind-closed meeting with, behind-closed-doors meeting with at Brooks Air Force Base was a Colonel Harold Ellingson of the U.S. Air Force, who held, a, again, a major medical position, but this time at Fort Detrick, Maryland. And there have been a lot of stories about alien bodies and tissue samples taken to Fort Detrick over concerns about alien viruses and things like that. And Fort Detrick is where the government does do all of its sort of research into viruses and whatever. Colonel Ellingson was also at Fort Detrick in July 1947. So is it only coincidence that on the day before he was shot, Kennedy had meetings with two high-ranking military personnel 
both of whom in July 47 were stationed at places that are supposedly had connections to crashed UFOs and dead alien bodies. So why would you kill Kennedy? Is there the fear that he would disclose some guilty knowledge to the public that were being visited? Yeah, that, that was the concern, supposedly at least, that, or the theory, that he was going to go public with everything. But not just with the public. The other concern was that he was going to go straight to the Soviets and share everything with them because his fear was that if there was an imbalance of power, it might cause the Soviets to panic and launch a first strike. So the theory is that by continuing a balance of power, neither side would ever start a war because they realized neither side could win. So that's the official story. Now, what is interesting is that an official document has surfaced through the Freedom Information Act, dated just a few days before Kennedy's death, where he talked to NASA actually about opening up outer space affairs with the Soviets. That, that is actual fact. I mean, he doesn't mention UFOs, but the fact that he wanted to share data with the Soviets on outer space matters, that document is absolutely 100% genuine. And again, you know, as I said, it's, it's just dated a few days before his death. So when you've got all these different angles, I mean, yes, it's a bunch of jigsaw pieces on a table, but I think these are pieces that actually do, to a degree at least. Once we finish our break, Chris has a comment and some questions to ask you. The book is okay. Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Nick Redfern joins us with Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast. You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. 
This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right, General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right, that's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM-1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganix.com. Spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM-1 from Terraganix. Life's getting better. author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, the book is Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind by Nick Redfern. Says it's going to be his last conspiratorial book. Chris O'Brien, you had something to tell us. Well, I was just going to ask Nick about his very intriguing research into the fairly recent theory that Marilyn Monroe, who... I think it's been fairly well established, had uh, clandestine relationships with not only with JFK, but with his brother, Robert Kennedy. There's been some talk uh, in recent years that uh, possibly Marilyn Monroe was going to spill the beans, not only about the relationship with the Kennedys that she had, but also uh, about uh, the UFO subject. And Nick, I remember uh, last year at the uh, Paradigm Symposium, you addressed this uh, very intriguing the hypothesis. Uh, do you care to comment on that and maybe supplement some of the things that you've said about Kennedy? Well, yes, yeah, sure, because I, I mentioned all this in the book. And um, this story goes back to 1995, when an author who's now deceased, a man named Milo Spiriglio, who actually wrote three books on Marilyn Monroe's death, all from the perspective that she was murdered or allowed to die. He went public in 1995 in a press release, which was accompanied by a press conference, where he talked about having received a document that essentially was like a one-page summary of a wiretap 
between um, Dorothy Kilgallen, who was a well-known journalist um, in the 50s and 60s, and uh, a man named Howard Rothberg, who was a mutual friend of Kilgallen and Marilyn Monroe. And just before I get to the next bit of the story, it's worth pointing out that Dorothy Kilgallen had an interest in UFOs. She travelled to England in 55 with her husband, and later wrote up a story for one of the Los Angeles newspapers where she spoke about how, when she was in England, she met a high-ranking British government official who told her, or confided in her, that uh, the Brits had got their hands on a crashed UFO, which was described as being piloted by, quote, small men. And she was also the last person to interview Jack Ruby, the man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. So she's got UFO threads running through her and Kennedy threads as well. But back to the story, this purported CIA document, supposedly a wiretap summary of a conversation between Rothberg, Howard Rothberg and, and Dorothy Kilgallen. And it talks about how Marilyn Monroe had supposedly told both of them that she was planning to reveal all the sort of juicy things that Kennedy had told her, like plans to invade Cuba, to assassinate Castro, the then current relationship with the Soviets, things like this. And although she gets this sort of reputation of being like a dumb blonde. She actually wasn't. She was very well read. She had a, a deep passion for poetry. She was interested in world politics. And in 1955, she actually applied for a visa to go and visit the Soviet Union to see, because she said that she wanted to see what it was really like rather than be told what it was really like. So the public persona was very different to the private one, even though she was, you know, she did have like a fragile character and she did suffer from low self-esteem. So... We've got this woman who feels sort of badly done by the Kennedys, and she threatens to blow the whistle. Well, the document is dated three days before her death. It's, the implication is from the wiretap conversation that somebody took her out of circulation because, before she could blow the whistle. Now, we, it is a fact that she was a prestigious keeper of, of journals and diaries, but she supposedly had this one particular one that became known as the Red Book, where she recorded all the stuff that the Kennedys had told her. Now, when she died, or was killed, everyone determined, and she was taken in for autopsy, a number of people have come forward to confirm they saw this Red Book brought in with her various belongings of hers, but it supposedly vanished from the coroner's office either two or three days later. What's happened to it since, you know, we just don't know. But uh, the document talks in part about how Rothberg and Kilgallen were discussing this one particular thing that Marilyn Monroe had told both of them, namely a visit by the president to what's described as a secret Air Force base, where he was shown, again, quote, a crashed spacecraft and dead bodies. And it's titled at the top Moondust. Moondust was a legitimate U.S. Air Force program that had a few UFO overtones to it, but was primarily focused on recovering like crashed Soviet space wreckage and you know uh, rocket boosters to be analysed to see how they compared to ours technology-wise. And the typeface again is is legitimate for that era, and it does look like well the, the heading, the paperwork is the same. Now again, the problem is we don't have an original document that can be examined in an archive. All we have is like a first or second generation copy, a photocopy. But uh, that's sort of the a, a summary of the uh, the Marilyn Monroe link to the the UFO angle and also to the Kennedy angle and the Kilgallen angle, which also has a Kennedy tie-in as well. Wanted to mention just one thing here. We have a lot of questions from our listeners. Nick, we're on the subject of JFK, and um, I have a, a couple of questions here on the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. 
uh, a whole series of, of questions from Storage, who has been a, a poster at the forum for a couple of years. And he heard your uh, recording uh, on the Brand X Paranormal Radio Show, and he was wondering about some of the facts that you mentioned. Uh, he points out that Maury uh, Island is not in Tacoma, it's off Ashland Island. And he, he, he starts picking apart some of the, the minutia of, of the things that you said about the case. But but one thing that, that really uh, struck him, it seems, is uh, you know he says that Ken Arnold was searching for that lost Marines transport plane uh, on the Tacoma Glacier on Mount Rainier when he saw the, the uh, Crescent objects for the first time. You know, that's something that you, you don't hear much about is, is whatever happened to that plane that prompted Rommel to be up there looking uh, on his way back, uh, on his flight back to, uh, uh, to the uh, uh, Puget Sound area. And uh, Storage points out that uh, there were no bodies aboard the plane when it, when it was eventually found. There were no blood or bones. Uh, all the parachutes had been left behind. And he says it seems logical to him to merge Arnold sightings with Maury Island because of spatial and temporal proximity uh, of these things into a single series of events. Now, I, I had never known that. Did you know that the, that the plane that uh, had gone missing uh, prior to the Arnold sighting was found and there was nobody on board and the parachutes were left behind? Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I, I do know that, um, you know, he was up in, the reason he was in that area was because he was looking for this, this crashed plane. But no, I, I didn't know anything about the weirder side of that, no. It, it also, he points out that there's uh, a potential connection uh, between uh, Guy Bannister, who, of course, was, uh, you know, an ex-FBI guy who was uh, tied with, with Oswald, tied into Oswald in New Orleans, but uh, he mentions here that uh, uh, Jim Garrison somehow has a connection with Guy Bannister when Bannister was working uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, were you aware of that? Yeah, one of the interesting things about uh, the whole Kennedy assassination and Guy Bannister is that none other than Jim Garrison himself actually knew Bannister prior to the investigation of Kennedy's death and uh, went on record as saying how he had lunch with him on many occasions and they swapped colorful stories way back in the 40s together. All right. Yeah, that's that's news to me. Uh, thank you, Storch, for pointing this uh, out. Another thing that he, he brings up here, which I was not aware of, has to do with Harold Dahl's son, who, uh, according to storage, was more or less abducted by fairies or ETs and woke up from a trance to find himself washing dish, dishes in Wyoming or something. It, it, that's news to me. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. I mean, bear in mind, uh, when I write the books for New Page, I'm actually limited contractually to 65,000 words. I cannot exceed that. So one of the challenges is when you're writing a book, you know, what you include and what you don't. Right, you um, have to self-edit. <laughs> yeah, as the thrust of the book was the deaths, you know, there was a, I could have, you know, made it longer, but unfortunately I wasn't able to. But yeah, I mean, there are other weird aspects to it. This story about Dahl's son, um, yeah, I mean, that's been in circulation for a while about how he sort of had this almost like a missing time experience, you know, just didn't know what had happened to him, just kind of suddenly woke up in a daze out of nowhere. You know what, let's pursue that further on our next segment. We have Nick Redfern joining us. Now we all know about the fact that publishers sometimes want to save a few bucks, and so they will restrict the number of words in a book so they can keep the price at a certain level. That's understandable, I guess. And we're going to have to cut this short, too, because we can't get in everything. 
in this full episode, but we'll try. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. You are now in the crosshairs. The NSA and the FBI are treating you like a criminal and monitoring your every move. Ron Paul said recently, The evidence of the totalitarian nature of this government is on display undeniably every day. What's taking place right now is a coup and the destruction of the Constitution. But a friend and patriot has discovered a loophole. Find out about the NSA loophole before they shut it down at privacylockdown.com. That's privacylockdown.com. How many good people procrastinate? When was the last time you updated your last will and testament, your living will, and your health care power of attorney? If you could get these documents included with your Legal Shield membership for no additional charge, wouldn't it just make sense to have the peace of mind of owning a Legal Shield membership? Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. This is big! Not just big, it's the Freeze Dry Guys Giant Factory Authorized Sale. This month, save 30 to 45% off on number 10 cans of high quality Mountain House freeze dried foods from the Freeze Dry Guy. Factory fresh stock just arrived, so now is the time to stock up with the finest, best tasting, longest proven shelf life foods in the industry at giant savings of 30 to 45% off. But hurry, supplies are limited to only the stock we have on hand. Call 866 404 3663. Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the giant factory authorized Mountain House sale is going on now. Only from the Freeze Dry Guy. The finest freeze-dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long-term storage. I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of Alex Jones because he has the courage to speak his mind more than just about anyone I know. Alex is just as bothered as I am about all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to prevent prevent disease, not compound it. 
My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity, which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond Osteo FX. I recommend you go online to InfoWarsTeam.com to purchase these products and make them part of your daily regimen to get healthy and live longer. InfoWarsTeam.com Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to The Paracast. On The Paracast with Gene and Chris, Nick Redfern joining us regarding close encounters of the fatal kind. And you're referring there to the fact that, of course, because of the restrictions on the size of the book, we understand why publishers do that, some stuff had to be left on the cutting room floor. Maybe before Chris goes on with questions, let me ask you a further issue. We can move away from Maury Island and the Kennedy assassination because we have so many things to talk about. And that is, is there anything else that was left on the cutting room floor that you would have loved to have talked about but you just ran out of space. Well, uh, only in the sense that sort of further corroborative information and background data on certain people and players. But what I tried to do, and I hope I did achieve, <laughs> was was to accurately summarize all the sort of relevant and important points of each case and make it a fully readable story. That he didn't he didn't make it unreadable by leaving this out or that out. You know, I, I mean, like with the Forestal story. I mean, people have written sort of 20, 30, 40-page papers on the assassination uh, or death, however you want to term it. Um, but, you know, you can still tell the story in seven or eight. So there's nothing sort of major that I left out. It was just sort of smaller points that, you know, people who want to investigate it further might have wondered why wasn't this put in, why wasn't that. Well, you know, there's only so much you can put in when you're doing 20-something chapters in a you know, a 65,000-word book or whatever. I'm, I'm jealous, man. I wish I could write a 65,000-word uh, book. Well, I you know, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I'm happy to do a book of any length. I mean, my next book, I've got a book coming out with Visible Ink Press in September. It's called The Zombie Book. It's all like an A to Z of everything to do with zombies. That one's 150,000 words. Oh, cool. Wow, you know, that's I'm over not, twice. You know, I'm, I'm happy to write a long book. It's just that some companies put a word count on it other right. ones just say, do what you want, you know. So the challenge is, is to make it applicable to the guidelines of the relevant company. Yeah, and some subjects do require uh, quite a bit more in-depth in-depth research and, and, and more information, obviously. Well, I mean, a classic example, Ken Thomas wrote an entire book on Maury Island, which is like right. 300... I mean, that's like the definitive study. That's like 300 pages yeah. on the case itself, or just on that one case. So that's how much material potentially you could include if you wanted to. But I know no new page wouldn't allow me to write a 300-page chapter. So. <laughs> well, well, since we're still kind of back uh, in the formative years of the modern era of ufology, I have another question from Storage here. And he's wondering about Grace Moore and the crown prince the crown prince of norway assassinated in 1947 by et now i have no idea what he's talking about do you no <laughs> in a word, one word no <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay well you know what let me just ask him one thing here and then we'll go on just for listeners who didn't pay attention and we mentioned it in the segment before this one and that is among the other deaths related to ufo's are first 
M.K. Jessup, and I mentioned the fact, of course, that he wrote the book Case for the UFO, The Expanding Case for the UFO. And we all know about the Philadelphia Experiment because Charles Berlitz wrote a best-selling book on it using some material that I provided him, by the way. But <laughs> I knew Berlitz in those days, the late 70s. But anyway, M.K. Jessup writes about UFOs, and then a few years later, people read that he offed himself in Dade County in Florida in a park. He's dies from carbon monoxide poisoning. What happened to Jessup? Is this something that his life had turned sour or what? Well, again, you can kind of look at it two ways. And I, you know, I present all the information so people can, can make their own minds up because, you know, if we knew the answer for sure, there'd be no need for me to write about it. But Jessup was someone who developed an interest in the UFO subject in the late 40s, early 50s, and began to dig into it further. And he was actually sort of a really early pioneer in the whole ancient astronauts world. For example, even in the early 50s, he was traveling to Mexico and South America to examine, you know, the ancient Mayan ruins and things like that. He, he came to believe even back then, as his own personal notes show, that he came to believe that these ancient structures were built by what in simple terms we would call levitation or anti-gravity. Now, whether or not that's true is kind of less relevant than the fact that uh, Jessup was talking all about this at the dawning of the 50s in his private papers, long before people like uh, Eric von Daniken and Zachariah Sitchin were, were even on the, you know, remotely on the scene. Um, now, he wrote a number of books in the 50s, certainly his most famous one being The Case for the UFO. Well, what happened was that when the book came out in 55, you know, it sort of got interest and coverage. Not too long afterwards, a copy of the book was mailed anonymously to an office at the U.S. Navy. And the copy in question had all these weird annotations inside it, talking about the uh, making comments and underlining portions of Jessup's work into this issue of uh, anti-gravity and uh, levitation in the distant past, and also notes and comments about the so-called Philadelphia experiment, this highly controversial story of, of a supposed project that rendered a, a U.S. Navy ship invisible in the Philadelphia Naval Yard in '43. Well, instead of just sort of outright ignoring this book and, you know, just putting it in the garbage or whatever and, and ignoring all these weird annotations, the Navy actually called up Jessup and said, look, we've got this copy of your book mailed anonymously to us. It's got all these weird comments inside about a secret Navy project. We'd like to speak to you about it. And Jessup was kind of excited, but also concerned that, you know, he was gone. He'd gone from somebody writing books about UFOs to somebody of the Navy now wanted him to fly out to DC and speak with them. And that's what he did. They paid for his air flight. They paid for his hotel room and meals. Flew him out. He thought, with hindsight from his words, it sounds like he thought there was going to be like a good cop, bad cop grilling. It actually wasn't. It was sort of a quite relaxed conversation, not even an interview as such. And when they showed him the copy of the book, he instant, uh, Jessup instantly realized that he recognized the writing. It was from this guy, Carlos Allende, who had been sending him all these rambling letters about the Philadelphia experiment. So Jessup explained all this to the Navy guys. They were satisfied. But they're actually more than satisfied because they contracted the Varro Corporation in Garland, Texas, to print off for them 
25 copies of Jessup's book, which are circulated. Roughly 20 of them were circulated to various other military departments, and the rest were given to, well, four of them were given to Jessup, and one was offered to Allende himself. So that was the story behind how he kind of attracted official attention. Now, in the wake of this visit to the Navy, a few weird things started to happen. And I mentioned this in the book, and a couple of people asked me, where I got this information from is actually from personal notes of Jessup's that were shared uh, with me by an author who's actually in the process now of, of writing a book on Jessup's death and his life. And they talk about the files, his private notes, I should say, talk about how he started to get hang-up phone calls in the middle of the night where the phone would ring and then he would stop and then he would start again like an hour later and gone every night to the point where his, his sleep began to be destabilized. He got weird phone calls with hearing strange screeching and metallic noises down the line and strange foreign languages as if they were speeded up down the phone line. Some of his mail arrived clearly torn open and then resealed with tape, done in a fashion to make it clear to him that somebody was opening the mail, clearly some sort of intimidation. This sort of got worse and worse to the point where, at one point, not long before he was found dead in early 59, he had this strange car accident where he couldn't explain how his car had gone off the road and actually almost killed him. He was very quite severely injured and uh, took a, quite a long time to recover properly. But everything came to a head in 1959 when he was found dead, as you said uh, at the beginning of this section, in his car with engine running and a hose pipe going from uh, the exhaust to the window. Now, what, what's kind of intriguing on the issue of whether it was suicide or murder is the fact that just the night before, he'd phoned a close friend and colleague, Dr. Manson Valentine, and told Valentine that um, he'd made a major discovery and wanted to meet with Valentine the following day. It didn't really sound like the words of somebody who was about to go and kill himself. In fact, the exact opposite. But nevertheless, that was the situation. He, he was found dead the next... And of course, today, questions are asked as to whether it was suicide, whether the intimidation pushed him over the edge. So in other words, it was suicide, but he was pushed into it. Or was it like a staged event made to look like a, a suicide? You know? This is a complicated story. Once that author comes out with that book, can you tell us his name? Uh, no, I can't. I was actually legally allowed but with a contract to make those comments. But I legally and contractually, which I actually signed, can't mention the name or the book. But I can tell you it's coming out next year. And it'll be, it's basically a biography of Jessup, which contains a lot of access to not just his books, obviously, and articles, but a lot of his original notes, uh, which were found in the in the archives of another researcher of that period. I know it all sounds a little bit couched, but the book is coming out next year, and it should be like a definitive study of, of Jessup's life and what was going on behind the scenes. We'll cover that then, but now we have to break. With Gene and Chris and Nick Redfern, you're in... The Paracast. UnseenNow.com, proud sponsor of GCN. Unseen Now's unparalleled encryption tools keep your communications secure. GCN.
Henry Ford once said, a man who stops advertising to save money is like a man who stops a clock to save time. Alex Castle here, the National Account Executive at GCN. I have the ability to customize a national radio campaign based on your budget while targeting your demographic. Contact me to find out how national radio can help your business be more profitable at 877-996-4327, extension 177. That's 877-996-4327, extension 177, and help me help you bring your business to the next level. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract, paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise, can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB extract. It's extremely effective and it starts working in just days. Visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers. And we've never increased our price in over 10 years. That makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we have Nick Redfern, his latest book, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. In the previous segment, he was telling us about the death of N.K. Jessup and about the fact that next year there's going to be a book about it. Chris? Well, I, I find it interesting, too, Nick, that uh, this morning in my inbox, uh, there was an email from you announcing that a re, I guess, publication of the annotated version of Jessup's book is actually uh, now available. Yeah, it's one of those sort of weird synchronicities that pop up in ufology quite often, or Fortiana in general. Yeah, there's just, just literally right now a new version of the annotated version of Jessup's book is now available. And now the original, of course, you can still buy original copies on Amazon or wherever of Jessup's book. Of course, they're not annotated. They're just old hardbacks from the 50s. But the annotated one, which has got all these scribblings in from Carlos Allende, that is the one that the Varro Corporation ran off like 25 copies on like a mimograph machine for the Navy. And it's a, it's like a photography or a facsimile of that version with all the scribblings in that's just being released by New Sorcerian Books. And it's actually a really good price, like $17. The originals were, were moving at one point for like four figures. If you could get your hands on one of these 25 copies printed by the Barrow Corporation, they were literally shifting for, you know, four figures. So $17 is a great save. And if you want to get that book and uh, so just Google case for the UFO, New Sorcerian Books. And you'll find it. 
I know that I had a copy of that, and I gave that copy to Charles Burles, my copy, and he never returned it. But that's oh dear, uh, that's not good. That's how it goes. <laughs> that's not good that's at all. All right. Chris, you want to go back to some more questions, or should we ask about Dr. James McDonald? Yeah, uh, let's talk about McDonald first. I, I do have some other questions that kind of jump ahead in time a little bit here in our, our timeline. Okay. Dr. James McDonald, one of the few scientists who actively and publicly conceded he was interested in UFOs, he dies early, a little too early. What happened? Well, you know, I mean, McDonald's actually somebody I don't include in the book because... There were certain sort of criteria I was looking for, and, you know, one of the ones was whether or not some of the people who died had ill health for a long time before they died, you know, rather than out of the blue, sudden deaths. And the other one was what was going on in their private lives that might have had something to do with the death. You know, the, the thing I point out in the book, and we all have to remember, is that UFO researchers are people first, you know, with relationships and things going on in their lives that have nothing to do with ufology. And I think very often there's a tendency for people to think, if you're a ufologist, that's all you do, you know, which is crazy. You know, we have normal lives, social lives, wives, husbands, you know, the whole, (laughs) you know, it's not like we're some sort of weird offshoot of the human race. Well, not all of us do, Nick. (laughs) Speak for yourself, um, Nick. Yeah, the, the grounded ones among the, the group here uh, do have real lives, but there are some people that live and breathe this stuff 24-7. Well, there are, but then you find that with people who collect stamps and make model airplanes, you know, crazies. Oh, I call them crazies anyway. But the point I'm making is that McDonald was someone who was having major problems, you know, in his private life. He had issues with his wife. His relationship was suffering. You know, then there was this one attempted suicide which left him blind. You know, to, I mean, you, people dis, may disagree with me. To me, that sounds more like a tragic case of somebody in ufology dying under tragic circumstances. Yeah. You know, and there was a, there were a lot of people I left out of the book who some people said, why didn't you include this person? Why did somebody said, why didn't you include Mac Tonis? I saw Mac had heart disease quite a while before he died in um, 2009. I remember speaking to him like a year almost before when he he started having fainting experiences at work and going dizzy and passing out. And he was trying to get the doctors, you know, to do studies, you know, you you find, you know, football players, baseball players die on the pitch at 30 now and again. It's not sinister, but I think when it's ufology, people assume it has to be sinister, which, which isn't the case. So you have to be very careful what you accept as a legitimate mysterious death versus what is just, uh, you know, an unfortunate number of people on the planet die young or, you know, kill themselves or whatever. Yeah, good point. And um, again, with a 65,000 word limit, um, you're only going to be able to include so much uh, yeah. without just doing, a, you know, just a, a, a brief mention or something. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want people to think, I haven't read the book, that I just kind of like race through it a million miles an hour through each one. No, I mean, each chapter gets like a good 15-page treatment, um, you know, a detailed summary of the entire case. But like with Maury Island or Roswell or um, Mantell, you know, you could turn any of those into full-length books, and people have. Yeah. Well, one chapter, obviously, Nick, that that really intrigued me was uh, Chapter 12, uh, about UFOs and, you know, this whole kind of taboo subject of human mutilations. Mm. I, in my book, I do have uh, a section of a chapter that I devote to that subject. You cover some of the same material um, in your chapter. 
the whole idea of ET coming down and mutilating livestock, you know, if, if that's if that's a real uh, connection, uh, that's disturbing enough. But I see an interesting document that you reprinted in here that uh, is rather disturbing. It, it's coming from the uh, director of the FBI in 76, uh, saying that uh, federal investigative agencies and also theories that these mutilations of cattle are only a forerunner for later mutilations of human beings. This is something that I, I was not aware of, this particular document. And uh, let's let's go ahead and just quickly go go into this whole very troubling subject that, uh, you know, the benevolent space brother, true believer crowd like Stephen Greer and others are, um, are absolutely in denial that this could possibly even be a worthy subject uh, to discuss. Um, where do you come down on this whole idea of, of livestock mutilations possibly being tied to <laughs> more troubling mutilations of humans? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, well, first thing I should preface, for people who are wondering, that document that you mentioned is a legitimate freedom of information document. It surfaced from the FBI and dated um, October 76. And this was a period when the FBI was actively collecting um, reports from like New Mexico State Police on cattle mutilations. And one of the things they got hold of um, was an article published in Wee magazine in September 76 on cattle mutilations. And for some reason, we don't know, the special agents in charge at Springfield, uh, Illinois, mailed, or mailed at the time, uh, the director of the FBI, a document stating or specifically highlighting that there was a theory that the mutilations were a forerunner for human mutilations. Now, what's kind of intriguing is why that particular point should have been highlighted for the director of the FBI. It kind of makes me think that perhaps there have been other rumors and stories that had reached the FBI and that was the specific reason why the We article was singled out for, for, for circulating throughout various uh, departments of the FBI. Um, but to get to the overall issue of human mutilations, I think more than anything else, when it comes to UFO secrecy, I think that's possibly the one thing more than any other that would be clamped down on. The idea that people haven't just been abducted or studied or, you know, bathed in some weird light or whatever, but have actually been systematically killed and dissected. That would be something, you know, totally out of the arena, so to speak, in terms of secrecy levels. Um, but there are a number of stories, granted there aren't that many, uh, which may be a good thing, you know, in terms of the, the number of reports that have actually occurred. But I talk about one very controversial one from 72 in Cambodia, which surfaced from Leonard Stringfield, who was a, a well-known UFO researcher who died in the 90s. And he said he'd spoken to a high-ranking military source who related this story of how a U.S. military team out in Cambodia in the jungles in looking for North Vietnamese troops came across what we would call a classic flying saucer, like a huge globe-type saucer thing, where there were these clearly alien creatures loading dead humans and body parts into these large bins, sealing them and then loading them aboard the UFO. Now, it sounds like sci-fi, but Stringfield did go on record as stating that he verified his source, he knew him, and he stood by the story. 
We've got Nick Redfern talking about human mutilations and some information that came from the late Leonard Stringfield. A lot more to come with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Springtime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know spring is the time to stock up at HerbalHealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. 
Log on for spring specials, including our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar, Hootia and Metabolic Complex, and ProMetabolic, all on sale now. Also, the Anti-Parasite Intestinal Freedom and Warwood Plus Complex, plus Stevia Liquid Sweetener and the Super Enzymes, all on sale for spring at HerbalHealer.com. As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and click on Spring Specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Here on the Paracast, Nick Redfern here for three more segments. The book is Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. You're telling us about the story from Leonard Stringfield, who was a pretty straight ahead guy, about yeah, UFOs collecting dead humans and bringing them aboard their spacecraft? Yeah, and Stringfield said this came from a, a high-ranking military source. Now, back at the time, 89, Stringfield didn't go public with his name, and, and he didn't up to the day he died. But just a couple of years ago, Stringfield's files were handed over to MUFON. I think it was MUFON anyway. What I'm thinking is if somebody were to go through those original files and they found the raw data reports that Stringfield had from this guy, surely his name would be mentioned within those files. You know, it was only publicly that Stringfield withheld so many names. And that was one of the things that many researchers criticized him for. He had some really intriguing crashed UFO stories, but he always withheld the names. But that was publicly. But if someone were to go through the original files, I would bet that at some point they'd come across the original interview that he did with, you know, Colonel whoever who told him this story. So that might open more doors. Now, there are a few other stories about bodies being found under unusual circumstances and uh, which clearly didn't look like predator-style activity. A famous one uh, from Idaho between the towns of Bliss and Jerome, where in, supposedly in 79, um, a couple of hunters stumbled on the body of a man whose both his lips were missing, uh, sexual organs were gone, one of his ears was gone, but it, it didn't again look like, you know, he'd been attacked by a mountain lion or a bear. So in that sense, it sort of eerily mirrors the cattle mutilations. But when Chris asked, you know, where, where do I stand on all this? I think it's like Chris mentions in Stalking the Herd. I think one of the problems we've got is so many people have looked at it from it's either this or it's either that. But there could actually be a couple of different things that are going on, but because they're kind of similar, they become lumped into one phenomenon, and that's why it's become puzzling, where we have what seems to be legitimate UFO sightings in some cases, but then we have what are clearly helicopters in other cases, and then in others, maybe even evidence of cult-type activity. So I don't think necessarily it's just one thing, but I am sort of really intrigued by all the research that Chris has done into the whole issue of um, like viruses and Alzheimer's and, you know, the infection of the beef industry and things like that. I think that's sort of highly plausible and, and ominous at the same time. And, and we should note that Don Ecker, you know, our good friend and colleague, mm -hmm. uh, spent a number of years off and on 
trying to get yeah. to the bottom of cases he was told about. And and really, uh, as an ex-law enforcement official with some connections, you would think he'd be able to at least make some headway on this. And he, he just hit a brick wall on this. And uh, as have I. I. I have had, over my 20 years of looking into the, the whole mutilation phenomenon, I've had some really good, solid, you know, I think credible leads that I've attempted to follow up on. And in one case, I lost a, what I considered a very valuable source within a, you know, a, a state police organization simply because I pressed them when they told me, don't ask me about this. And I said, well, wait a minute. Yeah, that was the last time I ever was able to talk to them. So, I mean, that, that was an indication to me that I wasn't barking up the wrong tree and that an, an incredible lid of secrecy has been placed on these cases by, by the law enforcement fraternity. Well, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I've been to Puerto Rico on quite a few times looking for the Chupacabra, and, and every time I've been there, I've heard rumors about human mutilations rather than just animal attacks. And again, they're the ones, interesting enough, that most people don't really want to talk about, and that includes the civil defense people. I actually had a couple of conversations the second time I went, excuse me, the third time I went there um, with some of the civil defense people, and they said, well, you know, I don't know anything personally about it, but yeah, we've all heard these stories about human mutilations and somebody came in and locked it all down and, you know, we weren't supposed to talk about it. The Chupacabra's fine. They don't mind us talking about that, but these sort of human mutes was like a no-go area. And it actually came across as very believable because they weren't trying to spin some huge story saying, oh, you know, it's this great story and here's all the details, but you can never talk about it. They were just like, no, we've heard rumors. We've heard these stories about bodies found drained of blood and organs gone, but I really don't know anything more than that other than we were told not to sort of sensationalize it or give it, you know, any sort of credibility or actually talk about it even. Well, you know, now that you've kind of broached this particular subject, of course, you know, the very intense uh, Calaris incident uh, down in Brazil, the mouth of the Amazon on the island of Calaris. Uh, you know, you do uh, uh, br- briefly mention some of these cases. Bob Pratt, of course, wrote a book on these uh, events. Where do you come down on that? I mean, I, I find this uh, particular case uh, one of the more troubling cases of, of of UFOs actually really appearing to act in a hostile, uh, dangerous manner towards people. Well, yeah, I mean, that case in it alone as a standalone case is very sort of interesting and disturbing. But equally, if you look at South America as a whole, the entire continent seems to have a, a hell of a lot more really violent UFO cases than the rest of the world to where it's where it is outright hostile. You know, the reports of deaths and disappearances and severe injuries and uh and it's kinda of weird that South America as a continent, as I said, gets this and other places don't. I don't know why that should be. But I mean, but there is a clear trend there. There's, there's no doubt about that at all. Well, let's see where where can we go with that, Nick? Uh, what about other uh, what appear to be cases that uh, exhibit hostile intent by UFO occupants? Uh, of course, we do have the accidental type cases. The Cash Landrum case uh, could have been, you know, construed as an accidental exposure to you know, to radiation, uh, the Rendlesham Forest case uh, is another case that it, it, you don't really see some sort of hostile intent. What about other cases that we have indications that there is hostile intent? Well, I mean, 
In, in terms of one particular theory, one that really stands out is the many, the literally dozens of deaths that I talk about in the book of uh, scientists and computer program, uh, programmers, all sorts of people uh, working for the Marconi <laughs> company in England. Right. Who Alternative very, three. <laughs> yeah, well, who died under very questionable circumstances between the early 80s and the early 90s. Now, the reason I mention this in terms of hostile actions on the part of extraterrestrials is because of one particular theory, which I'll come to. What, what we know for sure, and this is a matter of the official record, is, as I said, between 82 and the early 90s, there were the deaths of somewhere in the region of about 30 to 35 people who either directly worked for or indirectly were connected to Marconi in England. Marconi, which has now been absorbed into another company, but did a lot of groundbreaking research for the British military and the Ministry of Defence. And in the 80s, it was tasked with doing contract work for President Reagan's Strategic Defence Initiative, SDI, or Star Wars, as it was more famously nicknamed. Now, Star Wars was supposedly, or the plan was, to have like an orbiting armada of laser-based weapon systems in the event that the Russians or the Chinese or whoever launched a sneak nuclear attack. We could literally blast or vaporize these missiles before they barely got out of the silos. We will be vaporized if we don't do our break. How about that? Nick Redfern joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Paracast. GCN. Proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Find out how to stop Big Brother in his tracks at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com at 30dayfoodsupply.com, you can now purchase a one-of-a-kind product not available anywhere else. A meatless burger dry mix in four delicious flavors. With our new Oregon Trail Foods vegan burgers, all you do is add water and fry. They need no refrigeration. They're packaged in Mylar bags with an oxygen absorber for a long shelf life. They're non-GMO. They're gluten, soy, nut, and chemical-free, but they're loaded with flavor. And a good source of carbs and protein, yet low in sodium. Flavors include Italian, spicy Mexican, six vegetable and black bean olive go to 30dayfoodsupply.com or call 541-229-0010 and order today eat them every day take them camping or save them for an emergency check them out at 30dayfoodsupply.com and click on the vegan burger icon that's 30dayfoodsupply.com where all of our products are produced in oregon by oregon trail foods 30dayfoodsupply.com Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids. 
I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger. I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not. I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom. I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Question. Could too many GMO foods and toxins be overloading your digestive and immune systems? Answer, yes. If you're searching for a powerful detox that's gentle enough to use every day, use Pro-EM1 from Terragonics. Pro-EM1 is a powerful liquid probiotic that uses good bacteria to suppress pathogens and gently eliminate toxins from your body. A healthy digestive system will cleanse and remove toxins, support weight loss, improve absorption of food nutrients, and aid in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM1 is made with only non-GMO and certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is dairy, soy, wheat, and gluten-free. Pro-EM1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganix.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Also available through Amazon Prime. Pro-EM1 from Terraganix. Life's getting better. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. With Gene and Chris, two more segments of the Paracast with Nick Redfern. Let's get back. The book is called Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Nick says this will be his last conspiratorial UFO-type book. We'll see it. We'll see if he doesn't get sucked in again. No, I won't. I've got plenty of other things I'm working on. I'm done with it. There you go. Well, why? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why are you done with it? Uh, have you said all there is to be said, or no, are you just like, tired of the subject? No, actually, I'm not tired of conspiracy-based stuff at all. It's not that in the slightest. It's just that having done uh, 32 books, 17 of which are on conspiracies, what I don't want to do, and I've never wanted to do, is sort of cheat the reader by, you know, just doing a book where everything has all been seen before. Right. And, you know, I've written books on Roswell, uh, NASA conspiracies, Men in Black conspiracies, Did We Go to the Moon, Area 51, Hangar 18, Mysterious Deaths. You know, I, I've written extensively on the conspiracy side. And what I want, you know, I don't just write, to entertain people, I write to get new data out. And I personally feel that the information that is worth saying on the UFO conspiracy angle has been said, whether by me or whether by, you know, some of the other earlier researchers on Roswell or somebody who wrote about another crash case or, you know, uh, just another side of the conspiracy thing, like you with cattle mutilations. You know, I wouldn't dream of writing a book on that because... You've done that. They'd be pointless. So, in other words, I, I take a lot of sort of responsibility in what I write about and what I don't. And I don't feel 
is enough material where I would want to be able to write about conspiracies again right. and be confident that I would be able to say enough to where I was where I wasn't going to cheat the reader. So that's why, you know, I'm not retiring from writing UFO books or paranormal books. I'm just not going to be doing any more sort of UFO files and mysterious deaths and underground bases. You know, if other people want to do that, that's fine. Yeah. I feel, you know, I've put a substantial amount of that kind of thing out there and I can leave that legacy and, and just go on to other things. So it's not burnout. It's just I don't want to cheat the reader by finding there's just not enough material and then you just right. start, you don't you want know, to do a Brad Steiger kind of re yeah. regurgitate yeah, exactly. a bunch of yeah. stuff I'd, I'd rather leave a legacy where I am now than right. kind of you know I'd rather be sort of a band that goes out you know on a final album rather than plays till the 75 doing their old hits over and over again you know what I mean that kind <laughs> of thing <laughs> well <laughs> no, you, no, you mentioned mysterious death we got to bring up uh, a couple of, of individuals and, you know, we don't have much time, but uh, Jim Keith is a very interesting character. Uh, I happened to meet him very early on in the, in my career in the early nineties, he insisted that we meet in the parking lot of a Safeway. And I had to wait for his call for him to tell me where we were going to actually meet, which I, I found very, I've never had anybody else do uh, you know, an initial meeting like that where mm. they introduced themselves in a parking lot of a supermarket. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, well, that was for his book, Black Helicopters Over America, if I remember correctly. Now, Jim Keith, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was coming off the stage at Burning Man and broke yeah. his ankle and was dead in a couple, three days. What's well, up yeah, with that? Actually, yeah, it was September 1999, and he was at the Burning Man Festival, which was in Reno, Nevada. And Burning Man kind of takes its inspiration, interestingly enough, from the old Wicker Man festivals in the Celtic period and Celtic areas thousands of years ago, where there would be this sort of huge wooden effigy of a man loaded with you know chickens and goats and pigs, and it would be set on fire and essentially sacrificed to the earth gods to you know, ensure bountiful um, food supply next season and the next crop, etc. So well, I love the movie with Brick Eklund uh, dancing naked. Oh, yeah, very uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I avoid the Nicolas Cage version. It's terrible. But, uh, the, the remake, that was awful. But uh, anyway, um, Burning Man, it's interesting, had it, had it its crux, the, the idea of, of, of a sacrificial right, so to speak. Well, Jim Keith fell off the stage, actually fractured his tibia, um, his shin, and, um, and he was in a lot of pain. The, the next day, um, he was sort of in excruciating pain and had to go to a, a medical center in Reno. Turns out that, yep, he fractured it. And um, he they told him, you know, you're going to have to go under the knife, which means you're going to be knocked out. And um, what happened was that shortly afterwards, his nephew came along um, before he had the operation. And Jim Keith confided in him. He said that, you know, if they put me under, I just know I'm not going to wake up. I'm going to die. And, that, and eerily enough, that's exactly what happened. The official story was that a blood clot traveled from his knee to his lungs, you know, just stopped his heart stone dead. Well, you know, that can happen. And But there were some weird things surrounding it. For example, Greg Bishop, a good friend of mine who we all know, just a couple of days, literally a couple of days before um, Keith died, Greg and Jim Keith had an email exchange where both of them were talking about how 
in that very week, they both had computer hacks where major files and backup files had been deleted um, and, and couldn't be restored. You know, they, they were just literally gone for good. And it was specific files. If somebody had targeted both their computers, possibly with a virus, or Greg even wondered if somebody had actually been into his home. Now, what's interesting is that at the very same time of his death, um, Jim Keith was looking into the, the death of Princess Diana in France in 1997. A lot of people don't realize that the, the tunnel where she was killed, that area, was actually once a sacrificial place for the, for the goddess Diana. Which, you know, so you've got two events linked with ancient sacrifice. Diana's death and Jim Keith's death, and Jim Keith happened to be investigating Diana's death. Well, the deaths didn't end there. Um, in 2001, two years after uh, Jim Keith's death, Ron Bonds, who was his publisher, also died. Now, the official story is that he died of uh, food poisoning caused by a significant um, overamount of clostridium exposure. Well, as Jim Keith pointed out in one of his books, um, in some uh, cattle mutilation events he'd investigated, there was no overabundance of clostridium. And on top of that, he also wrote how he'd uncovered uh, evidence that somebody, so like some black ops group, was developing a drug that could actually provoke huge blood clots that would travel to the lungs and kill people, which is exactly how Jim Keith died. So, you ha in other words, you have Jim Keith writing in his books about the very issues that killed Jim and his publisher, Ron Bonds. And this has given rise to an interesting theory that I sort of present in the book. This was when I was doing research into a, a very much like a, almost like a black ops program, program called Operation Often, which was actually created by Sidney Gottlieb, one of the, the uh, founding brainchilds of uh, MK Ultra. Operation Often was literally tasked with looking into the occult as a means to weaponize it. And one of the things they did was to try and figure out if curses, literal curses, were a reality and if they could be weaponized where somebody could direct their mind at an individual and put a curse on them, like the worst nightmare, the worst Monday morning. So they would have like a terrible run of bad luck. And the idea was, could we assassinate someone by putting a curse on them. So as I point out, maybe Jim Keith really did fall off a stage and Ron Bonds was unfortunate enough to get food poisoning and Diana was unfortunate enough to die in a car crash. But what if these accidents were literally caused by a weaponized curse? As bizarre as it sounds, it does sound bizarre until we realize that was one of the official tasks of Operation Often was to try and figure out if a, if a curse could be created, nurtured, and then literally dispatched. Oh, boy. Well, I know that some people out there, if they want to curse me, don't. Okay, <laughs> don't do it. The only cursing we hear is the four-letter kind yeah. that we cannot yeah. utter on this show. Well, if they try to curse me, watch out. I got a nuclear-powered mirror. It's going to come right back at you. <laughs> we got to be back at you for one more segment with Nick Redfern. The book is Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Paracast. Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. G C N.
Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. A sudden change in the wind. The day grows dark as ominous clouds move in and lightning begins to carve arcs in the sky. And you realize you are not prepared. I am telling you to take cover. The number of intense storms is increasing exponentially in the U.S. Tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding, and droughts are happening with greater magnitude and frequency. If you are choosing to rely on the government to save you... And no one's coming to help them. You could be dead wrong. The first step towards self-reliance in the face of disaster is a visit to MyPatriotSupply.com. There you'll find the absolute best prices on storable foods, non-GMO seeds, emergency water filtration devices, and so much more. All orders over $49 qualify for free shipping in the lower 48. Visit us online or call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. And speak to one of our preparedness advisors today. Remember, before it's time to survive, it's time to prepare. MyPatriotSupply.com. If you need to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, thank you, or simply I'm thinking of you, ProFlowers.com is the key. ProFlowers has stunning bouquets, like the best-selling 100 blooms for $19.99. Plus, ProFlowers will include a glass vase for free. Sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers sent fresh from the fields is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from ProFlowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers, picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for $19.99, go to ProFlowers.com, click the blue microphone in the top right corner, and enter code PLOW. That's ProFlowers.com. Click the mic and enter code P-L-O-W. You have all seen and heard about the elements of the periodic table. These elements are the building blocks of everything in the universe. You, my friends, are made from these elements. A shortage of any of these important trace elements can lead to disease. Go with the science and take the Lady Talk Health Challenge and get all 90 essential trace elements with a healthy start pack at LadyTalkLive.com or call 855-333-LADY. That's 855-333-5239. Research shows it's not just what you put in your body that counts, it's what you put on it as well. Why not use an all-natural, healthy mineral-based makeup that actually benefits your skin? 
Once you experience the airiness and flawless coverage of Longevity Mineral Makeup, you will never use anything else. With Longevity, the perception of your complexion will be natural perfection. Animal-friendly mineral makeup at Mary Lou Health. That's M-A-R-I-L-U-Health.com. Or call 855-321-HEALTH. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, one day we'll have that recording of all the people saying the Paracast, and we will see. We'll have votes, and we'll give away a T-shirt or something. I don't know. Close encounters of the fatal kind. Chris, any more questions left from the till? Well, actually, there are. Um, you know, I think I think what we should do is maybe sum up uh, Nick's book and his thinking about this particular. Uh, you know, it's an aspect of ufology that you don't hear much about is the um, you know the danger to human health, uh, whether it's on the government side, the synchronistic side, or the alien side. You know, people are really caught up in this uh, love and light, sort of Space Brothers coming to solve all their problems. Nick, what do you think? Do you think that there is an inherent danger in becoming involved in any way, shape, or form, whether an investigator, an experiencer, or someone that just has a casual interest in this subject? Do you think that there's, you know, something to be a little bit uh, wary about or maybe possibly concerned about? Where do you come down on this? I mean, well, There are people saying, well, how come you're still, you know, you're writing all these books. How come they haven't come after you? Well, yeah, I mean, there's several things I could say about this. When you talk about the whole love and light angle, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, a lot of that just, I mean, it makes me want to puke, you know, because when you've got, when somebody says, oh, you know, it's all wonderful and the aliens are going to, you know, plug the hole in the ozone layer, cure cancer, end all wars, you know, and everything's going to be cool. Well, why aren't they doing that? Why is the world in such a state? Why are we all overpopulated? You know, there are viruses all over the place, earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, clearly major weather issues going on. I don't see anybody helping us. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, they are going to help us. Well, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't live in that sort of little nice, comfortable box where the world's a nice place and everybody's everybody's nice to everybody else. You know, that's not the real world. The real world's a harsh place. And I think people who get caught up in all that love and light, you, need, you know, they need, um, they need a punch on the jaw or at least they need a wake-up call just to knock a bit of sense into them. Now, as far as the whole issue of, you know, I'm writing books and nothing happened to me. Well, I think one of the things I point out in the book is that clearly most people in ufology don't die or under any circumstances that are even remotely mysterious. You know, there have been thousands of people over the years who've written books, written articles, given lectures, subscribed to magazines, subscribed to journals, gone along to conferences, done radio shows, hosted radio shows, and they've all lived out normal, lengthy lives, 80, 85, whatever. What I think happens, is, and you look at this as a trend, it's where somebody has something and they threaten to release it and it's so potentially like paradigm changing that somebody takes action. Like maybe Forrestal, like JFK, like Frank Olson, these are all people who, granted, you know, it's it's still, we're not sure, but all the stories of those three guys, Olson, Kennedy, and Forrestal, 
the suggestion is they were going to go public and they were people who held positions of great responsibility in these agencies or, you know, presidential offices who really would be listened to and the House of Cards would come tumbling down then. And also possibly people like Maurice Jessup who, you know, for example, could have been on the verge of releasing something because of this conversation he wanted to have with Manson Valentine. So in other words, it's not your average UFO researcher who happens to write a book on Roswell. It's when there's a fear somebody has something that can really tip the scales. Now, contrary to a lot of people think, and I know they think this because they've said it to me, you know, I don't live some fox molder life where the phone rings and somebody says, you know, meet me at the nearest parking lot at midnight. I've got a stash of documents for you. That doesn't happen. That's never happened. You know, I, I interview people. I use the Freedom of Information Act. I take like a journalistic approach, but, you know, I don't run around underground bases, you know, or meeting four or five Mr. X type characters everywhere. It just doesn't happen. And so although I've written extensively about cover-ups and conspiracies in relation to UFOs, you know, I don't have any smoking gun that could tip the scales. And I think it's the people who do or who are suspected of having something that could tip the scales. They're the ones that need to worry. You know, for example, that's why people have written about the NSA linked to UFOs. Nothing happened to them. But look at Edward Snowden. That was because that's a totally different situation where you have somebody who steals documents from the NSA versus somebody who writes about public knowledge on UFOs and the NSA. It's two totally different things. And I think you can make that analogy with ufology. There's a massive difference between writing about the subject and being someone who's got something that can prove the subject. Right. Very good point. And and I want to kind of emphasize that point by saying it's not the ETs that uh, we should be worried about so much. It's the human elements that are nervous about uh, very close system terrestrial secrets that might be yeah, divulged. One thing, I, one thing I would stress as well is that, you know, people have asked you, why is the government doing this? Why are they killing people? Well, I actually don't think it is the government. I don't think it's the CIA or the NSA or the FBI. I, I really do think that, as I believe with the UFO phenomenon itself and the secrecy surrounding it, I think we're dealing with like a, a shadow agency that operates outside of government. One probably has links and tentacles all around the world. Kind of actually like what Jim Keith was looking into at the time of his death, the so-called octopus, as it became known, this sort of shadowy, almost like a, almost like an occult-type group, but with right. official links, like a, like a modern-day Illuminati or something. And I actually think this is the people we should be looking for, if we could find them. You know, a lot of people think it's the Pentagon or the CIA. I actually don't think they're the bad guys in this at all. I think it's something outside specifically of governments that even people in the Pentagon have no knowledge of. And I think they're the ones who are responsible for wiping out these people. They're sort of, you know, like a they're the real power players in the world. You know, they're the yeah. real string pullers, not just the president or the prime minister well, or whatever. All you have to do is look at Danny Casolaro and uh, yeah. Gary Webb and... Uh, you could come up with uh, a number of individuals that have been mm-hmm. digging into very close system, um, you know, uh, manipulation behind the scenes by very powerful entities. Those are the people that tend to be, uh, I- at least in my estimation, generally, uh, they're the ones that are targeted and uh, die to regret it. Yeah. Would you blame, Nick, this may be the last question, would you blame maybe some of those private billionaires who own huge conglomerates like the Koch brothers? 
Um, dumb. Not, not really. No, I think it's more. I think it's more. I, I think the shadow agency are the ones. You know, if there are bodies and wreckage, I think it was siphoned off from the military decades ago into like this, some private corporation shadow group, and I think, I think it's specifically geared to hiding the truth and investigating the UFO phenomenon. Uh, it may not actually be tied to other issues and corporations at all. So I, I think. I think it's a, I think it's a shadow UFO group, specifically dealing with that angle. And when somebody needs taken out, they've got the connections, you know, with some somebody who can get the job done. And it's all off the record, off the books, payment under the table, nothing to do with government at all. It's just totally, you know, this this totally separate entity that you know nobody knows exists, but actually has threads all across the planet. It gives the government plausible deniability. That's well, it, it doesn't just. No, I, I would actually disagree with it. It gives them plausible deniability because they don't, they don't need don't it. It's like they're as confused as everybody else. Yeah, mm. they don't. Yeah, I, that makes it sound like they're actually involved. I don't believe they are involved. I think plausible deniability kind of implies they're implicit. I, I don't yeah, think they are. I think you think yeah, it's I totally think independent. Back. Someone is yeah. under control. Maybe it's Illuminati. Maybe who knows? Something, N- something like that. Yeah. Sure. But not the government. Nick Redfern, where can we find more information about the things you write about? Uh, people can reach me at my blog, which is Nick Redfern Fortian, as in Fortian Times, F-O-R-T-E-A-N, Nick Redfern Fortian.blogspot.com. Uh, people can buy the books on Amazon or off the shelves in Barnes & Noble, or people can just find me at Facebook, type in Nick Redfern, and uh, scroll through all the various Nick Redferns, and, uh, and they'll find me. He's there lurking. You can find Chris O'Brien at OurStrangePlanet.com, OurStrangePlanet.com. If you buy his new book, Stalking the Herd, directly from his site, Chris gets all the money, and he signs, and he numbers them. You can find us on Twitter. We're known as the Paracast. We are the Paracast on Twitter. You will find a grand total of two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. I think if I try to close one, I'll be attacked by the people at Facebook, because you can't close a Facebook account, they tell me. Anyway. Nick Redfern, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Thanks, guys. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>